0: So we are uh, continuing this morning on a series that I started back in January called Finding Financial Freedom, but then had to put it on pause so I could celebrate my 20th anniversary. And, And then we came back, it was Easter, so we definitely had to do that. So now we're coming back to our series, Finding Financial Freedom, and we're going to be talking about debt. You can't really talk about financial freedom unless you address the debt question, right? So if you know your scriptures, you know that there are many scriptures that address debt. But did you know that not just the Holy Trinity, but the Holy Trilogy, Star Wars, also has some (laughs) words. Yes, Lakeland's other truth source. Uh, uh, Star Wars has some words about debt. So here's a few words about debt from Star Wars Return of the Jedi. It's a trap. There it is. There it is. It's a trap. Debt is a trap and we are falling into it. So Proverbs 22.7 is our key verse today. It says, Just as the rich rule over the poor, so the borrower is the servant to the lender. Now how's that? Some translations say slave. How does someone who borrows money wind up being a servant or a slave to the one who loaned it to them? Well, let's take a look. Um, Here is the average American household and what they owe on credit cards, uh, $15,600 the average American household owes on credit cards. And because of interest, if they don't buy one other thing, it will grow all by itself $6 a day. The average American household owes owes $27,600 in automobile loans that grow all by themselves at the rate of $4 a day. The average American household owes $46,500 in student loans that grows at a rate of $9 a day. And we could keep going with the different types of debts, mortgages. America's newest mega debt is medical debt. Debt owed on medical bills is now the number one cause of bankruptcy in the United States. During an hour here at church, the average American is wrapping up a $1.34 in new debt just because of interest. You're just here trying to worship God, gain some wisdom from Scripture. You're not buying a thing. And the average American is racking up an additional $1.34 just during the hour uh, here at church. By the end of the week, that'll be $226 in additional debt for which you receive nothing. Christian financial guru Dave Ramsey has a really enlightening page in his book, Financial Peace, that I'd like to share with you and I hope you'll always remember. It says, when you go into a furniture store to browse and the salesperson comes to ask, may I help you? You always say, oh no, I'm just looking. Why? Because we all know that furniture stores are in it for the money. They have a product line like sofas, dining room suites, bedroom suites. And if you buy one, they make a profit. <gasps> so we build up sales resistance, and we say, I'm just looking. I have a secret for you. Banks are not nonprofit companies. They have a product line, too. They sell debt. MasterCard and Visa. Visa. Gold MasterCard and Visa, Platinum MasterCard and Visa, Plutonium MasterCard and Visa, home equity loans, home mortgages, car loans, car leases, student loans. They are all for profit. Santa Claus did not build those tall bank buildings downtown. You did. The only difference between the bank and the furniture store is that in the furniture store we say, I'm just looking. But we crawl on our hands and knees into the bank lobby begging to buy their product. Oh, give me one of each of those. Please. Now, I am no financial expert. But I did pass 7th grade math. And I want to show you some 7th grade math that I did on how debt works. So to prepare for this message, I went on Amazon.com. And I typed in the word sofa. And I picked out one that I actually liked. It cost $673. Now, I imagined that I put that sofa on my Chase Visa card which charges me 17.99% annual interest. The minimum payment on that should be $13.46, but most credit cards won't take any less than 25, which actually, you know, it pays it off quicker. So, I, I made that the minimum payment. Now, instead of paying off this Amazon purchase that I didn't actually buy, in the first month before it accrued interest, I imagined that I'm just going to pay the minimum on it. And here's what happens. Here's a spreadsheet of me. You don't actually have to look at this. I'm just, I'm just showing my work because like you're the math teacher and you want to know, is it real? Let's, let's skip down to the bottom. Let's skip down to the bottom where it says for that $673 sofa, I paid $875. I paid an extra $200. I paid an extra 30%. I, I, I didn't get the chair because I, I had to pay interest on the sofa. And it took three years to pay for it. Now, some folks will look at that and say, uh, well, it's worth it. It's worth it because I get to have the sofa now. But the problem is, we don't just put a sofa on there, do we? Because Amazon says, well, everybody who bought that sofa also bought this chair and this lamp and this end table. Like, yes, please, yes, please, yes, please. And, uh, and you know what else we bought? The light bulbs that go in there. You know what else we paid for on our credit card? Well, the vet bill, because the dog threw up on the carpet. And, uh, and fast food on the way home, because, ah, oh, I'm too tired. So um, that's how you get $15,000 in credit debt, because we put everything on there. But that much credit card debt, $15,000, can take over 20, 30, 40 years to pay off. And cost you $57,000 to pay off an original credit card debt of 15000 That's an extra $42,000 for which you got nothing. You could have had two nice cars for that. And most of the things we put on a credit card we don't even own anymore after 49 years. That $8 burger, fries, and soft drink rolling around on your credit card winds up costing you $30 long after it is uh, out of your system. But let's assume this morning everyone here is is smarter than that. We're not buying couches and cheeseburgers on our credit card. If we're going to go into debt this morning, let's imagine, we're going to go into debt for something smart, something like education. Now, when I went to college, student loans... Charged 2% interest. It was the cheapest debt you could get. And, and the much higher wages you could earn with a college degree almost made it worth it. Those days have ended. The average student loan now runs 6.8%. And tuition is much higher. Rolla, where my daughter wants to go to college, tuition, room and board, $21,000 annually. Now, if you slap that on a student loan, You'll pay $495 a month for the next 12 years, which will include an extra $45,000 in interest debt for which you get nothing. It's a trap. And then there are the deadly traps, things that make student loans and credit cards look like charity work. Auto loans, especially if they last more than three years. Auto loans work as long as nothing goes wrong. But get into a wreck and you'll quickly learn that you owe more on the car than it's worth almost immediately when you leave the car lot. Adjustable rate mortgage loans, arm loans on houses, the most dangerous way to purchase a home. Payday loans, 400% interest loans designed by their creators to take your car from you if they work properly. And the relationship-destroying practices of co-signing for loans for friends and relatives. Proverbs 17, 18 says, It's poor judgment to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for a friend. Proverbs twenty two twenty six 26 says, Don't agree to pay another person's debt or put up security for someone else. If you can't pay it, even your bed will be snatched from under you. So in our culture, there are basically two types of people. Those who already know that debt is a trap And then a lot of people in their teens and early 20s. So in this message this morning, if you're in your teens and early 20s, this is for you to know how dangerous debt can be. This is the age at which they come at you with credit cards and student loans and car loans to get you hooked early and enslaved for at least the first half of the rest of your life. Don't be sucked into debt. Find any other way to live besides that. Now, for those who already know how dangerous debt can be, that is either because somehow you always knew it and you never got into it and you're never gonna, or you were trapped in it for a while and now you're free and you don't intend ever to go back, or you're trapped in it right now. So as a church, the best work we can do after pointing out the danger of debt and that it's not a privilege but a trap, the next best work we can do is to help those who are trapped in it be free. And so that's uh, what we want to do with the rest of our time. So in this message, uh, in message one of this series back in that first week of January, remember we called it free your mind. You have to change the way you think about yourself and about possessions and about money if you're going to be free. What got us into debt, you and I, was trying to act like we were rich before we actually were. You know, rich people can buy a $670 couch off Amazon any day of the week they want to. But you and I charged it so we could feel rich today. But since we weren't, now we're still paying for that couch that should have been ours $200 ago. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Proverbs 28:22 Greedy people try to get rich quick but don't realize they're headed for poverty. So, once again, we're back saying you've got to free your mind. You've got to stop trying to live like a rich person when you actually can't afford to do that yet. You have to make this commitment to yourself. I will spend less than I earn. That's it. I will spend less than I earn. Now, we're going to practice saying that together because it's good practice, kind of a fake it till you make it moment. So just just say the words. Just see how they feel. Are you ready? I will spend less than I earn. (laughs) Now, some of you are ready to take the step of saying it and believing it and living it. So for just those who want to say it, live it, believe it, let's say it with a little more zip. Zip. I will spend less than I earn. Amen, and here we go. For those of you who want to do things a different way, here are some ways to do some things differently. Let's talk about the tale of two cars. So many people in our culture assume you have to have a car payment. Um, The average American who buys a car this year will buy a car for, on average, $26,000. They will put that on a six-year loan. They will pay $475 a month for it. How do you compare to the average American already? They will drive that car for six to seven years, and then they'll begin the whole process again. Now, I turned 44 this year, and I have never had a car payment. I sit around, and I wait for really cheesy used cars that are in good condition. Grandma bought it brand new in 1996. She drove it to the grocery store three times, and then she sold it to me. That's what I'm looking for. I've never paid more than $3,000 for a car. It embarrasses my wife and children. I drive them until they quit working. Now, even that, even that is not the smartest plan. Here's an idea I read about that I thought was good enough to share with you and share with me. So, But first, let's review the normal plan. Now, the average American's broke with $100,000 in debt, right? So the normal broke American plan is this. Buy a car for $26,000, drive it six to seven years. Do it again, $26,000. Do it again, $26,000. During that entire 18 to 21 year period, pay $475 a month in car payments. But because you're also paying interest, for those three cars, you spend $97,000. And for argument's sake, don't save anything on that plan. But what if there is another way? What if you started out buying one of Garrett's cheesy, used $3,000 cars? It's ugly, But it gets you there. Now you have the $475 that you were willing to pay in car payments to keep for yourself and to put it into your own bank. Well, after two years, you have saved $8,400. So you only had to drive that lame car and drop your daughter off a block away from school (laughs) for 24 months. Now you sell that car, pocket the very little money you will get for it, and then you buy a used Honda or Nissan or one of those really reliable used cars for $8,000. $8,000 used cars are, are, there are many that are very reliable. And you just bought one with cash. So you still don't owe a car payment. You can keep paying yourself that $475 you were once willing to pay in payments. Well, after six years, even your 8,000 used car is about done. But guess what? In six years, you have saved. $28,900. Now you can buy that same $26,000 car that you were planning on making payments on, except in cash. It's yours. And by the time it has 150,000 miles on it, you'll have saved another $26,000 for the next one. So here are the two plans side by side. Car one, $3,000. Last two years, we hope. Car two, uh, my $3,000 cars usually run about seven years, though, so hey, hey. All right. Um, car two, $8,000. It ran six years. That's a pretty good one. But here it is, car three, same one the other guy got, 26000 Except you've been saving your own $475,000. you have never paid a dime in interest debt. So for your 21 years of cars, you've only spent $63,000. You have saved free and clear all yours, $39,900 for you. All because you drove a Junker for two years and a pretty okay car for six years. Now you have two really nice cars to come in the same time frame. But it only cost you $63,000, meaning that for the price of driving a Junker 24 months and six years in a nice enough used car, you have the car that you wanted in the first place plus $33,900 and the bank, and you'll keep doing that every time you renew this plan, all because you never paid a dime in interest debt. What would you do if someone told you, six or seven years, I'm going to give you $33,900? You'd take the deal. And the whole plan assumed you just stuffed that money under the mattress. And made no provision for earning interest or saving it in a savings account that even earns a tiny bit of interest. You might do better than I did on this spreadsheet if you apply more than 7th grade math skills to it. Let's talk about another little 7th grade math miracle I did on my Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. On saving for retirement. The tale of two people saving for retirement. So watch this one. This is two folks with two different plans for saving for retirement. One has just gotten out of college at 22 and gets a job, and they put away $6,000 a year toward retirement. The other person does not start yet. Now, interesting, this person who starts at 22, they stop when they're 30. I'm not suggesting that you stop when you're 30, but I just want to make a point with this. They stop when they're 30, and they'll never contribute again. Now, this other person a little more like me. See, I'm coming to this way too late. I'm preaching this part of the message for those of you who are in your teens and early 20s. I wish someone had shown me this. All right. This person starts in at 45 realizing, oh, hey, I'm going to retire someday. So they're at 45. They start putting in 6,000. But they're not going to stop for eight years. They're going to do it for 20 years. They're going to do it for 20 years faithfully. Now, to make this spreadsheet, I walked over to Chris Lee, the music guy's office. I said, okay, you're in the simple IRA plan at the church. You've been here longer than anybody. What have you earned on average in the last 10 years? That includes the 2008 recession and everything. He said, including dividend payments, which I don't know what he's talking about, but he said that's important that you say for disclosure. Including dividend payments, average 11% a year. So I put that in the spreadsheet because a real person that works across the office from me was getting that on a very simple plan, same plan I'm in. Well, okay, so let's look at the end of life here, 67, not the end of life, sorry. <laughs> into the spreadsheet, into the spreadsheet. Good heavens, into the spreadsheet. All right, 67 years old, that, that, that person who started at 22 and then stopped when they were 30, $3.5 million to retire on. Person who did not start until 45 but gave for 20 years, half a million. So if you're in your teens and early 20s and moral, of the story is start. Right now, And for the rest of us, same moral. Start right now. As soon as you see this, the sooner you start, the bigger difference it makes. This is the power of interest when it's working for you and not against you. Now, is this church or is this a financial seminar taught by somebody who passed 7th grade math? All right. This is church if we give sight to the blind and set the captors free. That was the mission of the Christ and therefore the mission of the church. Well, so if you see debt differently when you walk out of here than when you walked in, if you no longer see it as a privilege but as a trap, then you've been given sight. I was blind, but now I see. So then if we can share some concrete tools to move those who are already trapped in debt into freedom, then it's church. So that's what we want to do now. We want to provide some concrete tools to bring freedom to all. And it's going to be called this morning the debt snowball. This is a method of paying off debts um, that brings you feelings of success and progress and celebration. So this was first shown to me by Pastor Dan, Reverend Dr. Dan now, um, as I sat in seats right like you're sitting when I was about 24. He gave this message. He gave it once a year. About the third time I was like, oh, hey, he's talking to me. So maybe if you want to pick it up the first year, you could get ahead of the curve. Um, so here it is. Dave Ramsey talks about this every day on his radio show. He's the one that coined the term debt snowball to give you this picture of something that as it rolls, it gathers strength and might. Now, I freely admit that mathematically, this is not the smartest way to reduce debt. However, people who think mathematically and use their brains at that level and have that kind of discipline don't get into debt in the first place, do they? No, emotional decisions are what got you and I into debt like this because we didn't want to say no to our kids or we felt like we weren't a very good provider or we were depressed and doing retail therapy on ourselves. So it was emotional stuff that got us into the debt in the first place. So we're going to need a way out that honors this emotional self that we're evidently having a problem with. And that's the debt snowball. So here's how it works. Let's get the profile of the average American up there owes 15000 on credit cards, 26000 in car loans, 46000 in student loans, 6000 for some sort of medical bill floating around, and Uncle Bob's loaned him 850 bucks. He felt bad for him when there, some appliance broke. God bless Uncle Bob, right? So the average American owes almost $100,000. You can see all the interest rates there. God bless Uncle Bob. He doesn't charge any interest. And then you can see the minimum payments. So the average American is paying $1,295 a month in minimum payments, to service debt. Now we know that those minimum payments are going to take forever to pay off these debts and that you're going to pay way over a hundred grand that you owe on them. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to your family and you owe it to the work God wants to do through you to have a better plan than paying off the minimum payments and all this stuff. So first thing you got to do is you got to get together with your family and you've got to make a covenant. And here is the covenant. We are going to live like crazy people for like the next five years. For the next 60 months, we're going to do some crazy stuff to set ourselves free and change our family tree because we can do anything for 60 months. Amen. And this is a moment when those of you are single can say, praise the Lord. I don't have to convince anybody of this. I can go home and I can start today. No dead weight. Got no strings to hold me down. All right, so sometimes, sometimes being single is kind of a drag, but this is one of those moments where you're like, hallelujah, hallelujah, you know, no dead weight. All right, so get going, and here it is. First thing you're gonna do is have a garage sale. Have a Craigslist sale. We're selling everything in this house. We don't use even a couple of times a year especially if it has payments attached to it. (laughs) We're selling the boat. Yeah, we're selling the boat. It's a constant source of payments and winterization, and it breaks all the time. We only took it out twice last year. Get real. We're selling the boat. All right, and everything else in this house that doesn't bring an income or give us a tax deduction. Lucky kids, you made the cut. All right. (laughs) And one of us in the family is going to give up two nights a week and Saturday and deliver pizzas get some extra income going. Now, you may have a skill or a side job that actually would do better for you than that, but I picked delivering pizzas because um, after an initial training, you can get right into it. You don't have a lot of equipment that you have to buy to get into it. You don't have to harass your friends and relatives asking them if they'll sell pizzas for you so you can take a trip to Italy or any of that kind of stuff. You just get your car, get your background check or whatever, and start delivering pizzas. And and for two nights a week and one Saturday, you can earn about $750 a month uh, after taxes toward getting debt-free. Now, during this time, we're going to postpone big family vacations. We're going to celebrate along the way. We're going to get to that. But the big family trips to Disney and all that, we're going to put that off for 60 months. We're canceling Netflix. (laughs) 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 Netflix. We're canceling Netflix. We're canceling cable. We're canceling little Maxwell's cell phone. That kid is in fourth grade. Does he need a Snapchat with chicken face or does he want to go to college someday? You decide for him. He doesn't get a vote. All right. All of those digital things are going to get you about $200 a month. Now, you look at these debts and you go after the one that has the lowest balance first. Now, I know that Tuvok the Vulcans is sitting here next to you right now going, it is illogical to pay debts according to their increasing size and ignoring the interest rates and the amount of new debt accrued. Thank you, Tuvok. The problem is with Tuvok is Tuvok doesn't have any emotions, does he? You do. That's why you bought all this junk in the first place, you and I, um, so so we're going to have a different plan than Tuvok, who's probably not in debt anyway. So we're going to pay everyone the minimum, but we're going to take the $950 a month we made, delivering pizzas and not watching Stranger Things, over and over again, and we're going to give it to Uncle Bob. And now you're going to have $100 left over from that. And you're going to take the whole family out to dinner and a movie or whatever it is that your family enjoys doing to celebrate. Take Uncle Bob with you. Celebrate that your relationship is not awkward anymore. And this lets your family know, we've lived crazy for just 30 days. And it already did something. Now you start playing board games, because board games are free. And you start going on hiking trails for fun, because hiking trails are free. You keep delivering your pizzas, and you put that $950 toward the medical bill. And in month seven, it's gone. Take another $100 and celebrate what these sacrifices are doing. Now, again, I know that someone in your house is going to go, Amy, better if we put that $100 toward the dead. But no, stop it. Be quiet. Vulcan, we're going to celebrate. The rest of us on this starship have emotions. So we're going to celebrate every time we get somewhere. All right, month seven. Now, take the $120 you used to pay on that medical bill and add it to your $950. So this is now it's starting to become the snowball. And you aim both of those cannons at the credit card. Month 20. By month 20, you're getting tired of delivering pizzas and you have mastered shoots and ladders and you have learned that that Candyland is the worst board game ever conceived in human <laughs> history. But you just retired $15,000 in credit card debt that was supposed to be with you for 20 years. And you just paid it off in 20 months. Now take that, celebrate. And now take that $300 minimum payment and add it to your $1,200 and take aim at the car. Just over two and a half years you are into crazy land now. Your fourth grader is going to be in middle school next year. Things are about to get really expensive. But you have freed yourself of $895 a month. And minimum payments. Look at your debt profile now. Just got the student loan left. Should we stop now? I mean, the kid's getting ready to be in junior high. It's not fun for them anymore. They start to realize they're different than other kids. (laughs) I mean, should we get them into three sports and get their smartphone back? They're really griping about that. They really miss that Snapchat chicken face. And how long is it, I mean, $46,000 is a lot of money. How long would it take to pay off $46,000, like 25 years? How about 19 months? Because you're now destroying it with checks for $2,245 a month. 19 months, and you can just take that savings for three months, and you can spend it on a $4,000 celebration, cruise to the moon or wherever it is you want to go, your family will never forget. Look at what happened when we chose for 60 months, and it didn't even last that long, 54 months and lived like crazy people. And not to mention when you come home from your celebration cruise to the moon, you'll be saving $15,000 a year every year. You can get cable turned back on if you want to. You can turn Netflix back on if you want to. You can get Junior his phone. One thing for sure, you can quit delivering pizzas. By the time Junior's out of high school, you'll have saved $60,000. And that all assumes you're stuffing the savings under a mattress. I didn't even make provisions for putting it even in a savings account at half a percent interest, much less investing. You could do better than this if you applied more than seventh grade math to it. Think of this story. You were $100,000 in debt. You were going to take over 20 years to pay it down, and you were going to pay more than $200,000 into it. Junior was going to be 30 by the time you were debt-free. Instead, in four and a half years, you were debt-free. And you gave yourself a $1,295 a month raise. Just as Junior is entering high school, convenient... <laughs> You'll be needing it. Um, is this a reality? Well, let's just ask how many real live people in the room, the, the only thing you owe money to is on your house. If you have no debts other than payments on your house, let's hear just a little applause right now. That is the sound of real people around you. That is the sound of reality. Proverbs 22.7 says, just as the rich rule over the poor, so the borrower is the servant of the lender. But all those applause you just heard are people who serve no one anymore but the Almighty God. Now, if you want to give to a financial challenge that does things in the world, you can do that. You want to quit your high-paying job so you can take a lower-paying job that you feel really uses your gifts and serves people, you can do that. You want to pay for part of your kid's college or all of your kid's college, depending on your income, to start them on a life with less debt or no debt? You can do that. You can do whatever you want to do when you serve only the Lord God who wants only good things for you, who gives generously to all without finding fault and never charges interest for his blessings. And you know one thing this plan also didn't include? All the miracles that happened. All the miracles that happen when you put God first and seek him. You may even do better than what we've said here today. So earlier this year, when we did this series, we were working on a spending plan together. If you want to take out your homework card, you probably remember this. We're working on making a spending plan together. But in light of what you've heard today, you may want to rewrite this whole thing. You may want to rewrite it with more income from side job or side skill you got. You may want to rewrite it with less expenses from some stuff that's not adding to your family's bright future that you're going to put on hold for a while. You may sell a bunch of stuff. And you're going to aim every financial gun you've got at debt. In five years, you can come back and redo this. Or maybe three years, maybe just a year for some of you. You can come back and redo one of these that will be glow in the dark with the light of financial freedom. All because you made a covenant to live crazy for the next whatever time period it takes. And you know what church is going to be for you who do that? Church is going to be the place where you come to every every week to be reminded how important this is. And to be reminded how much God wants freedom for you. How much he offers it to us. And all we have to do is take it. Church is going to be the place you come to where no one will look at you like you're weird for the choices that you are making. Church will be a place where you come and we will support you and not be jealous of you or judgmental of you when you succeed. You ever notice this in your secular workplace? When someone succeeds, everybody gets jealous and actually makes fun of them. Like somebody loses a few pounds and everybody's like, oh, I'm sorry, you can't go out to eat with us. You don't eat that sort of thing anymore. Like they make fun of you like, it, like you've got a problem. You know, you're, you're trying to pay down your debts and you bring a bound bag to lunch. You're like, oh, I guess you can't go to Starbucks. You're too good for us. At church, we know that the brown lunch bag is the soldier's basic equipment who's fighting for freedom for his family tree. Brown lunch bag is the badge of honor. Starbucks is a sign of broke every day at Starbucks. And you can come here and no one's going to be jealous of you if you pay off stuff faster than we do. We'll celebrate you and be for you and encourage you. When you cancel, When you cancel ESPN and your unchurched friends think you've lost your mind, this may be the only place on earth you'll be able to come to in our culture and get a pat on the back for finally coming to your senses and doing something that's right for your family and right for your family tree. Amen? Amen. Amen. We are for you because God is for you, and we reflect His mission in the world. That's what a church does. God's for his people, so the church is for his people. And we applaud all the strange choices we have to make in order to be different. And different in our culture is not broke. Amen. Well, I want to have a couple of real folks come up here. Because sometimes, you know, hearing a pastor say stuff, you're like, yeah, I don't know. Um, So here's some, like, real-life people. These are two of my favorite real-life people, Mike and Sarah Zung. And they have taken this journey, and I've um, been very um, kind to share that with us. So, so tell me, guys, uh, before you were debt—you are debt-free now, right? You just own your house? Yep. Yes. Okay. And before you were debt-free, how much uh, debt did you have, and what kind of debt was it?
1: Um, it was around 35000 40000 or so, and it was all on— um, Student student loans, undergrad and graduate schools, student loans, and uh, car debt.
0: Yes, and uh, so you're about half the national average in debt, but you're also talking your 20s, right? Yeah. So yeah. you you were just kind of getting into the game. Right. All right. Um, now, what made you want to change that?
1: Um. So so I started listening to Dave Ramsey um, a few years out of out of college, and kind of doing that, and and w- and a few other podcasts. I really kind of immersed myself into it probably on an an unhealthy level but um yeah so but it was something where it's just like it was very motivating to me and so um so yeah you know i came back and i like was talking to sarah about it and it's like we should do this Mm. and so
0: yeah and uh what was the key to your plan was it stuff you gave up new attitudes tough decisions like what what made it work One
2: of the things that we did when um, Mike got onto the financial piece and wanting to pay down our debt was, uh, well, I should start whenever we got married, we kept separate bank accounts. Um, I continued to pay on my student loans because they were my student loans. Um, But then whenever we really wanted to shift focus and start paying off the debt, we did combine um, our finances, which was... um, the first step and it was a it was a, a mind shift
0: of Yes, yeah, see that's very interesting because i always mm. advise in premarital counseling and marital counseling to not do separate bank accounts now i know a ton of you are doing that because you think it avoids fights right that's mostly why you're doing it because it avoids fights you think but you're saying when you came together it, it shifted what, what what caused the shift um, just combining I, the finances. Yeah,
1: I mean, I I think it's just it kind of forces the conversation. It's like, yes. hey, this is like we're we're married, you know, we're yes. we're in this together, and so, yes. um, you know, it's it's talking, you know, it's ha- having kind of forcing you to have the conversations of like, what are our goals? Like, what do we want to be? What do we want to represent?
0: Right. See, right. it causes you to get on the same page and have these value discussions. Now, I know. Value discussions, no one ever yells or cries, right? Those discussions are super easy. It's just great. Uh Yeah, yeah, just hugging a kiss at the end of every discussion. (laughs) No, (laughs) combining your bank account causes more fights. I just said it. Combining your bank accounts causes more fights, but it's because you're now bringing the values of the family into one set of values that you can live and get something done rather than running two businesses that are loosely associated under one roof. See the difference? So for intimacy, you risk some conflict. So you can get on the same page. Otherwise, you're just politely separate and not getting anywhere. Mm. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, how long did it take you to pay off
1: $40,000? Um, it took around a year. Okay. Yes. I think I think a little bit less.
0: Because yeah. no children. That's no right. children. not have kids Exactly. Yes. If you have children, it will take up to four times longer than that. So. Right. And I yeah. think that was... <laughs> if you can get somewhere, just...
2: Very true. No just... one
0: wants to feed their baby ramen. You. Oh,
2: yeah. That's true. <laughs> Although our kids would probably like that. They would. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. No, we were living in St. Louis. Um, it was about 2006. We had decided to move from there back here. And, you know, in moving back here, we were able to really focus on paying off that debt mm-hmm. um, and getting that out of the way before
0: our kids came along. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And where did God show up along the way?
2: Well, we were talking about these questions and preparing for this morning. And I realized... In thinking about the path and the trajectory that we've been on financially, that God was always present. God wasn't um, showing up in large ways. We realized that God's presence was... Always with us in the decisions that we were making, um, and whenever we were singing the "Be Thou My Vision" this morning, that verse that was saying "Be Thou My Wisdom, and Thou ever with me, and I with Thee, Lord," uh, was kind of how it was, mm. or how when thinking about it, how I felt like that it was that that God was was just with us in all of
0: that. Yeah, it's important because you feel crazy when you make these decisions, but you need the Spirit and you need God's people to say you're not crazy. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And and I think um you know one of the one of the things that sticks out is whenever um you know whenever the epic campaign was starting, it was whenever Sarah was pregnant with Anna, who is now our ten year old daughter. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> um and, and so so in the fact that we were able to like with that, we were able to both um you know be, participate in, in Epic and then also decide to have Sarah stay home. Mm. Um, so, so that it was something where, where we weren't motivated by money to do, like to make the decisions that we're making. It was more that we're enabled by it.
0: Let so, you do what you want to do. Yeah. You're, not, you're not trapped in a certain kind of, maintaining a certain kind of lifestyle to maintain minimum payments. Yep. Right. Yes. Amen. That's real freedom. Thank you guys so Thank much. You. Thank you Thanks. for all you do. Mike also teaches... Yes. <laughs> Mike also teaches our Financial Peace University here at Lakeland, so he'd be a good, a good person for us all to learn from. Okay, we turn toward the cross. It's hung with white from now until 50 days following Easter, the day of Pentecost. And, and of course, then you've got to read the words over here. So slightly ill-conceived, but here we go. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Take hold of the freedom God wants for you. Amen. See you next week.